Australia, and she speaks Russian. <laughs> uh, this uh, brother Andre uh, hasn't served the Lord most of his life. Was uh, deep in in drugs, uh, prisons, uh, all kinds of stuff. And uh, what about a month ago or so? Three, three months already? Three months ago uh, in Seattle, uh, God just, I mean, touched him. He came to the Lord. And, uh, but he moved to Tulsa. <laughs> so I'm connecting with him. His mom gave me a package to bring him and check up on him. So <laughs> I'm checking on him. And <laughs> I mean, Ukrainians, they're coming out. Tomorrow night, some more Ukrainians are going to come out of the holes. You know, <laughs> they're hiding somewhere. Um, but it's a joy uh, to be together. Tonight, um, we're talking about renewal, revival, um, whatever you want to share, name that word. And, you know, when we talk about renewal and revival, it has to start with family. It has to start with family. Uh, a revival will not hit a city or, first hit, or a church. It first hits families and then spreads on to the church and then can spread on to the community. And so if we're talking about renewal, we have to start with family. And so tonight, I really want to just kind of begin there. And uh, some of you guys are like, well, I'm not married yet. Well, this is some good premarital counseling for you right here. Free. No money. Uh, some of you are like, well, you know, we're, we've got a great marriage of many years. Great. You can teach your grandkids some of this stuff. Uh, and, and you can listen to me and correct me later if you need to. <laughs> but I want to talk to you a little bit about marriage and family and um, I don't want to say that, you know, my marriage is perfect. Um, I grew up taught that, uh, and, and it, this was, you know, this was spoken at the altar when every couple was getting married uh, at the altar. This was said every single time. Stay away from the first conflict. And I remember I met with the minister, you know, before I was getting married. And he said, hey, stay away from the first conflict, and then you'll have a good marriage. And I'm looking there and thinking, man, we've already had a conflict. <laughs> you know, we're not even married yet. Is, man, are we in trouble now? You know, and sometimes you get this perception when talking about marriage and renewal in marriage that marriage, you know, is this perfect thing. No, because we are two human beings. Imperfect human beings. And there is no perfect marriage. The issue is, do you know how to resolve in, in, in conflicts? Are you that person who can self-deny yourself and your ambitions and your desires so that your family can be strong? And that's some of the things that I want to share about today. In, Bible, in the Bible, there's three human institutions that stand apart. The family, the church, and the state. And there are two se three separate institutions. We kind of, you know, need to make sure that we understand the three separate institutions. Marriage is God's idea. The marriage begins with the wedding, right? Adam and Eve, God bringing them together. And the Bible ends with the marriage. The church marrying Jesus Christ. Okay? So marriage is throughout the Bible, it is God's idea. At the climax of God's creation... God brings a woman and a man together to unite them in marriage. Now, when you read about creation, when, when God creates every single day, at the end of every day, God says, it is good. Yes. It is good. At the end of the first day, God looked at the world and said, ah, oh, this is good. At the end of the second day, God looked and he said, yes, this is good. At the end of every single day, he said, yes, this is good. But when he created Adam, guess what he said? Uh-oh, this is not good. Now, let's hold on for a second. Adam was living in, in paradise. He was living in Hawaii times 10. You know what I mean? Adam, oh, this is my family, by the way, in the back. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Harold. Oh, it's going to bless the message even better. <laughs> you guys can see my son Matthew, my daughter Honor, and my son Levi. Uh, so just, uh, thank you, Pastor. So we're talking about marriage and family, and so this just comes in. Uh, let's go back to my thought. Um, listen, so Adam was leaving, living in Hawaii times 10. He was living in the, in the, in, in the Garden of Eden. Plus, Adam had no sin. Okay, So he had no sin in his life. 
Yet God says, hmm, it's not good. So, yes, Adam had a perfect relationship with God vertically, but God created us to have vertical relationships as well. Horizontal, I mean, horizontal relationships as well. Meaning a perfect vertical relationship is not enough. We need horizontal relationships. God created marriage. Uh, our relational capacity created by God wasn't fulfilled completely by our vertical relationship, okay? And we live in a society today where uh, very lonely, 72% uh, in 1960 were married. In today's age, about 50% of people are married. And statistically, most people will say, man, they're really lonely. So God has created us to need um, horizontal relationships. Jace, I need your help. Can you bring me four chairs, those uh, back here? I want to I want to show you some things and and um, demonstrate some things really quick. And uh, if you can just bring one up first, let's just set them up right here. So God has created us uh, to need horizontal relationships, but there's also some. I'm gonna do this really quick. But there's also some order in those scriptures that we need to fulfill or watch out to make sure that and this is the order that we prioritize things in our life. The first order is our relationship with God. The second one is our relationship with our spouses. The third one is our relationship with our kids. The fourth one is our relationship to our ministry and our career. And the fifth one is our relationship to hobbies. These are the priorities we need to have in our life when we talk about family and, and what we give our time and effort to. Now, some of you might say, why such order? Okay, Shouldn't it be sometimes some, some way around? Here's the issue. Okay, If our hobby, for example, we like you know, the Sooners and they lose Thursday. All right? So if our hobbies are kind of shaken, all right? And, and the Seahawks are winning, and man, you're having a hard time because they're going to beat the Dallas Cowboys or, you know, some other, and they're going to win Kansas City Chiefs in the, in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, your hobbies, if they're being shaken, guess what happens? Nothing underneath is shaken. Okay? Now, if your workplace or your ministry place is being shaken, guess what shakes too? Your hobbies. Because when, when your work is okay, when your career is okay, you've got time for hobbies. You've got time for golf. You've got time for stitching or something else that you like to do. But when work or career or ministry is being shaken, man, your hobbies time is taken away. Okay? At the same time, nothing underneath is shaken. Yeah, I know, you know, it's, 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 it's tough, but it doesn't... You lose a, you lose a job, for example... You come home, you still got kids, you still got a spouse, you still got a relationship with God, and so it's not affected. Okay? Now, when your relationship with your children is, you know, involved and, and is struggling, it affects everything upwards. Okay? So if you've got some issues with your kids, man, it's gonna be tough to work. Guess what God even says to to you know to, to people who can be pastors and bishops? And deacons, guess what needs to be in order? Their house needs to be in order. Okay? So, because if their house and children is not in order, guess what it affects? It affects their career. It affects their ministry. Okay? So, ministry or children come before ministry. And children comes before our career. Okay? Now, even though our relationship with our children could be rocky... We've still got to prioritize our relationship with our spouse. Because it can, it can be great there, but it, you know, even though our relationship with our children is rocky. Now, if our relationship with our spouse is going crazy, it affects everything here. I mean, you don't want to work. You don't want to do anything. You know, your kids, they began to play favorites. And, you know, you're seeing one and not the other. And, man, there's, it affects your children if your relationship with your spouse is affected. But in all this image... I want you to see that if your relationship with God 
is not where it needs to be, then everything above shakes as well. Yeah. Everything falls apart. And so the first image that I wanted you guys to see and, and kind of capture in your mind, that when you give your time and effort into something, when you put yourself into family, you've got to prioritize it this way. Okay? When, I, when we do weddings for couples and with the large church, every Saturday I'm either doing an engagement or a wedding. Literally 30 weddings, maybe 40 weddings a year. It's tough. <laughs> and we don't charge in the Russian community for weddings. So you can imagine how my Saturdays are. Every Saturday is a wedding. Um, well, when we get couples married, one of the things I tell couples is this. Listen, you need to make sure that God is a priority for both of you. And you need to make hold yourself accountable to this. So if your house husband's like, man, you know, I don't feel like going to church anymore. Hey, I'm just going to stay home. Guess what I tell the wives? Listen, you need to make sure that he is, he's in play, his relationship with God is in place. Because if that falls out of place, man, everything about above is going to suffer. And if his relationship with God is out of line, then, then he's, he's going to be uh, under a different set of moral values. He's going to have different values. And it's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your children. It's going to affect your career. It's going to affect everything. Okay, so this is the first image I wanted you guys to kind of to see uh, before we move on. And um, now one of the things you might say, well, Russell, um, this is great, but what if, you know, what if the spouse you married is just, you know, just kind of, we're just not clicking anymore. What if she's changed? I remember one pastor said, and I don't know, this must have been pastor, this, this could have been Pastor Harold that he might have said this. He says this, my wife has lived with at least five different men since we were married, and each one of them have been me. <laughs> and each one of them have been me. So we change. We change. You know, when we're young, we've got certain characteristics. When we, you know, as years go by and children come, we change. And so to, to all of a sudden to dismiss our spouse because he or she changed, guess what? We all change. And we'll change many times in our lives. And some people say, well, what if we fall out of love with the person you marry? Could I have married the wrong person? The reality is no two people are compatible. Okay? Young people here who are not married, you're thinking, well, I just need to find that perfect compatible person. The fact is, you're not going to find that perfect compatible person. There is no perfect compatible person for you. Now, some people are really, really the wrong people to marry, but everyone else is still incompatible. It is an illusion that you must find that true soulmate, and everything wrong with us will be healed. Because that makes the lover into God, and no human being can live up to that. If we look to our spouses to fill our tanks in a way that only God can do, we are demanding an impossibility. Why do marriages fail today? Because people out of marriage, they are wanting self-fulfillment. They're looking for someone who's fun, intellectual, attractive, common interests, supportive of our personal goals, the way we are living, and who will let them be themselves. I'm just looking for someone who's going to let me be me. A marriage that is, that is not based on self-denial, but on self-fulfillment, is a marriage that's going to fail. A marriage that is based not on self-denial, but on self-fulfillment. It's all about me. I want to be fulfilled. I want to be fed. I, you know, it's about me. Those kind of marriages will fail. Marriage is not perfect. okay? And, and the feelings of love is the result of marriage. I remember when also when we were, uh, you know, growing up in the church, I would always hear this, uh, you know, the pastor would ask, on what foundation is your marriage built on? And and you had to respond in the Slavic community, some, some of you Russian-Ukrainians, you know, you would always respond, it is based on love. That's And if you don't say that, they're not going to marry you. <laughs> the problem with that is is that feelings of love... They're kind of like this, you know? And the feelings of love are there when there is self-denial, when there is sacrifice, when there, we are serving one another, the feelings of love are there. And when we're not serving one another, when we're not sacrificing and denying ourselves, 
Guess what happens with the feelings of love? They're gone. Very often when we meet with couples, well, you know, I just, uh, we just fell out of love. And, you know, we're just not meant for one another. No, you felt out of, you felt out of self-denial. You stopped serving and sacrificing and forgiving one another. And, and so, yeah, the feelings of love have, de- have weight. But if you start serving one another, if you deny yourself and give of yourself, those feelings will come right back. So I want to today uh, just speak on four cornerstones of a good marriage. Okay, and um, and we'll take this just just a little bit at a time, and and we'll be done. The first cornerstone: every marriage needs to be based on on something called a covenant. Okay, uh, as again as again as I shared uh, when when we were growing up, we were taught well it needs to be based on the feelings of love, and not biblically. Marriages needs to be built based. On a covenant. What is a covenant? When two couples come together all right, on their wedding day and they stand and they look at one another and they say the words, I do, what they're doing is they're making a covenant. Now a covenant is not a vow, it's not a declaration of present love. A covenant, sometimes today couples, they say, hey, I'm going to write my own vows. Can I write my own vows? And so this is how their vows sound. Uh, you're so beautiful, your eyes are so beautiful, and your hair is so beautiful, I do. <laughs> Guess what? That's not a covenant. That's just a declaration of your present feelings towards one another. And the marriage is not based on our declaration of feelings today based towards one another. Our marriage needs to be based on a covenant. And what is a covenant? A covenant is something that says, hey, I take you to be my wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better or for worse, for rich or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. A covenant is not a declaration of today's love. It's a declaration of my tomorrow's love. That was a covenant is. A wedding is not a celebration of how loving you two feel today. A wedding is when you stand before God, family, society, and you promise to be loving, faithful, and true to the other person in the future, regardless of internal feelings or external circumstances. That's what a covenant is. Unless our marriages are built on a covenant, they're going to fall apart. Because tough seasons come. I, sh- I share this this morning. I remember a tough season we went through here uh, when uh, I was in the office and uh, just sitting preparing a, a lesson and got a call from my wife saying, hey, we need to go to the doctor. Why? Well, they're saying, you know, she was pregnant. They're saying the heart stopped beating of the baby. And so we don't know what's going on. And I mean, I, I leave the office, and she's like, "Don't tell anybody." And so we, we leave the I leave the office, and, and we go to a doctor, and you know, we go to the ultra scan again, and and um, you know, they, they look at us and they say, "Hey, uh, you know, we've checked you again. You need to go to see your doctor right now." And so right from the scan, we go to our doctor, and and she says, "Hey, in the next two or three days, you'll have a miscarriage because your baby is no longer alive in the stomach." You see, marriages will have days when just, man, hell breaks loose. Marriages will have days when, you know, you'll have, I remember also this when I, when I got married and uh, came home from work, you know, after the honeymoon period. I came home from work and, um, and I went upstairs to take a shower. You know, I showered after work. And, um, and I walk into the closet and I notice all my shirts are missing. And remember, this is right after honeymoon. And so I'm thinking, to them, oh, my wife is so good. She's going to wash all my shirts. I look into the, uh, you know, the, the, the area where they clean the clothes. I look in there. They're not there. I'm thinking, she's even better. She's taking them to the cleaners. And then I walk into the garage to throw something out. And I look. All my shirts are in the garbage can. <laughs> All my shirts. 
Now, I have to explain myself, because when I share this story, my wife always tells me, you got to explain why I did that. It was a time when, when, you know, the styles were bright purple and bright pink and bright orange. Orange Revolution was going on in Ukraine. And, you know, I was wearing bright orange and bright green. And, and my wife is, uh, as you can see, dark. You know, <laughs> dark gray, blue, you know, maybe a darker blue and a lighter blue. And, and, and maybe a gray and black again. <laughs> you know, that's my wife's colors. And man is like, are you, are you kidding me? These are all my shirts. Says, Honey, if you love me, <laughs> you know, it's, we're going to move forward on this. But I shared this story in that, you know, sometimes, if our, sometimes in marriages, things will happen that can lead us to just blow up. And, well, no, that's not what I meant. And, no, that's not what I wanted. And, and sometimes feelings will be there and sometimes feelings won't be. But our marriage cannot be based on feelings towards one another. Right. Heart is broken when I meet sometimes with young couples who, you know, just married, you know, a year or two into marriage. Ah, man, feelings are gone. It doesn't matter if your feelings are gone. There was supposed to be a covenant that I will love you tomorrow. Amen. I will love you after tomorrow. Amen. So the first things that marriages needs to be based on is a, is a, is a covenant. Studies reveal that two-thirds of unhappy marriage, marriages will become happy within five years if the people are married and do, not re, and do not get divorced. What can keep marriages together in their rough patches? Their vows. Their covenant. The search for an ideal mate is a hopeless quest. One time, Michelangelo was asked, uh, you know, Michelangelo, he did the statue of David. He asked, hey, how, how did you carve out David? And he says, look, I looked inside the marble and just took away the bits and pieces that weren't David. That's right. And David came out. Okay. When looking at our spouses, we need to look inside the other and see what God is doing and creating by removing bits and pieces from us. Hey, I've got bits and pieces that needs to be removed from me. I've got bits and pieces that need to be removed from me. And if both of us go into a marriage... With the vow that while God is removing bits and pieces from me, we're going to stay committed to one another. Yeah. Marriages will last. So the first thing that marriages needs to be based on is, is a covenant. The second thing that marriages needs to be based on, okay, is, is something called mutual submission. Now, some people with the more traditional background, they understand submission. Husbands, you know, wives, be submissive to your husbands. I don't know about the American community and the Russian community. It's, that's, that, that's one of the most all-time quoted scriptures by men. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. But scripture teaches mutual submission. Okay? In Ephesians 5.21, the Bible says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The very next verse says, the Bible says, Wives, submit to your, husband, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Somehow we men, we tend to see one verse and not the other. I mean, look at this. Two verses together, right? The first, first verse is, submit to one another. And the second verse, wives, submit to your husband. Somehow in our men's mind, the second verse crosses off the first verse. And the only thing we see is, wives, you submit to the husbands. When the verse before that says, Submit to one another. Amen. Now, Paul says controversially that wives should, be, should submit to their husbands, uh, but then he tells the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's verse 25. Which is, if anything, a stronger appeal to abandon self-interest than was given to the woman. When it, says, when it says, give himself up for her. Whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for one another. Amen. And yet that is the hardest, single, most important function of being a husband or wife in a marriage. Now certainly, Paul does write, the husbands, you are the head of your marriage. You are the head of your spouse. Whatever that means, it does not take away 
The fact that in Galatians 5.13, the Bible says, uh, he also says that um, we, are, we are to be brothers and sisters to one another and bond servants to one another. Serving one another. Okay. Yes, the Bible says that men are the head of the household. But the Bible also says, serve one another. Somehow we forget and think that, you know, since wife is to submit to the husband, and since the husband is the head of the family, you know, and it's just kind of, men, they've got this monopoly, you know, then they can just, you know, treat the wife as, as a second sort. Someone that's just going to serve the husband. That's not what scripture teaches. There's, there's kind of three different views on this, okay, on, on, on submission. There's this conservative traditional view where traditional family roles, uh, gender roles, and, and um, all problems in marriages come because someone's out of line in terms of their gender role. And it's typically the woman. She's the problem because she's out of line. She's not submitting to the husband. The problem with this view is that it overemphasizes and encourages selfishness, especially on the part of the husband. Okay? Now, there's a second view, a liberal view. And the point of marriage is to help self-realization. If the spouse is not helping, get out of, get out of marriage to self yourself. This encourages self-selfishness as well. So you got this traditional view, well, head of the household, servant. You've got this liberal view, well, unless you're serving me, I'm out of the marriage. And both say that. And then there's this biblical view. Spirit-generated selflessness. Not thinking less of yourself or more of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It means taking your mind off yourself and realizing that in Christ, your needs are going to be met, are in fact being met, so that you don't look at your spouse as your Savior. Self-centeredness today is the biggest problem in marriages. And there is the ever-present enemy of every marriage. It is the cancer in the center of marriage when it begins. You know, one of the things I pray for when we wed two couples, uh, and Billy Graham was asked this, well, you know, what kept your marriage strong? And he said, man, we just kept on forgiving one another. One of the things I pray for anytime we have, anytime we're doing a wedding, I say this, Listen, if two spouses say to each other, I'm going to treat my self-centeredness as the main problem in the marriage, you have the the prospect of a truly great marriage. If two couples, if two people say, not two couples, two people say, hey, you know what, my self-centeredness is the biggest problem, going to be the biggest problem in our marriages, and we're going to mutually submit to one another, Um, that's going to be a great marriage. But if you treat marriage as something that's, hey, it's about me, and what can you do for me? That's quickly going to fall apart. The third cornerstone of marriage that needs to be in every family is something called actions. Now, the reason why I say actions, and I'll, I'll put these up here so that some of you can see better. There's actions and there's emotions. Okay? And sometimes we want to be moved by emotions. And our emotions want to move our actions. When our marriage this should not be based on our emotions, but on our actions. You see, there's a great inconsistency to our feelings and to our emotions. They're tied to complex, physical, psychological, and social factors. They go up and down, up and down, often in strange ways. Our emotions are not under our control. Sometimes, I mean, Sunday night is so great, and Monday morning you wake up and you're just feeling stingy, and you're just feeling like, man, what, what happened? And you're like on a roller coaster. And you know, you can't always control your emotions. But you know what you can always control? You can always control your actions. Yes. And a good marriage is a marriage that is based on actions, not on emotions. Don't waste your time Okay, bothering whether or not you love your neighbor, the Bible says, act as you do. Amen. Right? As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're, having, when you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. The more cruel you are to, to someone, the more you will hate them. 
the more you love them, the more you do actions, good actions towards them, the more you will love them. Great example from World War II. Nazis. Okay, they, they killed thousands of people where we grew up. Um, in, in the village where my mom was, they to this day they have graveyards where thousands of people will be, you know, they dig a big hole. And they'd make the people fall in themselves. If they didn't, they'd be shot and fall in. And then they would just uh, put a bunch of gravel on top. And, and just uh, th- those places exist like literally, you know, a mile or two from where I grew up in Ukraine. And so World War II was a big part, uh, you know, something that we've experienced. And, and so we saw the Nazis and the extremists of Nazis. You see, what happened with Nazis is that they began to hate Jews. And so they began to do actions of hate towards Jews. And when they would do actions of hate towards Jews, guess what happened? They would begin to hate them even more. And so when they would hate them even more, they would do even more cruel actions. And then they would, they would uh, hate them even more. And it was just a spiral to where they began to do stuff that if somebody were just to come to the side and stop them for a second, it's like, what are you doing? Oh my goodness, I can't believe what I was doing. You see, it works both ways. Emotions and, ac- and actions negative way, and emotions and actions the positive way. So sometimes you wake up and you're like, man, I, I just, I don't have the emotions. And it's okay. Began to do actions of love. And when you begin to do an action of love, the emotions will come. And then you do another action of love, and it's just going to be like a snowball effect. It's going to grow. The feelings of love will grow towards your spouse. But it starts with actions. Don't marry a person you don't like, but I guarantee you that whoever you you marry, there will be times and seasons when you will say, I love you, but I don't like you right now. If you haven't said that, <laughs> you're probably not being very honest. Okay, But don't allow emotions to affect your actions. When Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm giving myself to you because you're so beautiful and you're so attractive to me. No. I mean, they were piercing Jesus. He was in agony and he looked at us, denying him, abandoning him and betraying him. And and this is the greatest act of love in history. He stayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely to him. He died us not because we were lovely to him and our sin was ugly, but he died to make us lovely yes. to him. Yes. And so if, if you come to a point in your marriage where you feel like, man, I, you know, I don't know if I love you anymore, stay like Jesus stayed. Mm-hmm. He stayed on the cross. Yeah. Yeah. He stayed on the cross. When one spouse fails, especially you know, in marriage, things happen. Things break. It's easy to get discouraged and, and, and lose emo- the, 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 feel, the emotions of love towards one another. But the gospel can fill our hearts with God's love so that you can handle it when your spouse fails to love you as he or, or she should. It's, it's sort of this, this Holy Spirit economics. You know, when, you, when you're kind of feeling empty because of a loved one not being faithful, the Holy Spirit can come and, and, and in that season can fill you, can comfort you can be with you so that so that as you continue to show love show actions of love towards your spouse then you'll pass through that season and and things will turn around so I want to encourage you build your marriages all right on a covenant build your marriages on mutual submissions build your marriages on actions not on emotions last thing you want to share about is building your marriages on on friendships I want to read some scriptures to you about friendships. And when I read them, the problem is, is when, you, when we read all these scriptures, get what, guess what we do very often? We treat them, you know, as if they're talking about our friends, not our spouses. But as I read these scriptures, I want you to think about these scriptures in the context of marriage. Okay? In Proverbs 17, 17, love at all times, especially during adversity. Proverbs 14.20 Fair weather friends who comes when, come when prospering 
believes if prosperity, status, or influence wanes. Proverbs 18.24 Brothers, or, or stick closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.9 Encourage and affectionately affirm one another. Okay? It says, sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. When our marriages are based on friendships, the Bible says that real friends, in Proverbs 27, 5-6, real friends offer criticism. Now, you might say, well, Russell, if we're married, we shouldn't offer one another criticism. Can I tell you how many times my wife has saved me because of some criticism she's provided for me? I, especially with Facebook. Let me share some examples. I remember uh, my wife, after some time, I gave her my password to Facebook because so often I write some dumb stuff that I don't think about. You know, I'm at the height of emotion and I post it and I'm thinking about it. And my wife, she's been a savior so many times. And she'd just go in and delete that status and, you know, say, hey, honey, that was not right. And I'm so grateful for her. I remember one time I pulled into a, uh, a Russian tire, tire changing space place you know in our city and um and i waited 20 minutes you know and i waited 20 minutes and and nobody came up and then finally i'm like dude you guys gotta help me and he's like okay okay wait a couple more minutes we'll help you and so i'm waiting about 15 more minutes and then i go back in there and they say hey listen we're closed already for today come back tomorrow <laughs> guess what i do i've got 5,000 friends on my facebook account I go to Facebook and I write, I can't believe such and such a tire place. No, 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 no. Don't ever go to this tire place. My wife, my wife saved me. Now, there's some things that you can do but a pastor cannot do, especially in the community if you're known. My wife, she goes and she deletes that like five minutes later. But five minutes passed by and some people saw Eventually, one of the owners of this place, he's not a Christian, showed up in our church. Guess what kind of a conversation we had? <laughs> but the good thing is he did not see that status because <laughs> my wife deleted it before time. So the Bible said one of the main reasons why we, we need to build our marriages on friendships is because the Bible says, hey, Real friends offer criticism. The Bible says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Amen. Faithful, listen to this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Yes, right. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So a faithful friend, guess what they'll do? They'll wound you so that you don't do harm to others. Right. Now sometimes, you know, we want to treat marriage as, hey, leave my personal space and you have your personal space, you don't get into my personal space, I don't get into your personal space. That's not friendship. That's not friendship. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Real friends will sometimes wound you to bring healing to you. Like a surgeon, they cut you to heal you. As iron sharpens iron, so friends sharpen friends. Like a surgeon, they'll hurt you. Can I, can I say something boldly today? Spouses, today you're given a, a, a right to wound one another. To bring healing. Because that's needed. Um, you, you know, as speakers, and this is, I'm sorry, it's a bad example because maybe it doesn't apply if you don't speak publicly. But there were, there's some things that I'll do, you know, as a speaker. And I, one of the things that I really did a lot was I would touch my face all the time. And my wife, after a Sunday servant, she, she, she sit me down. And typically I ask her to do it on Monday. And she's learned to do it on Monday. But, but sometimes she still does it on Sunday and it hurts. Like, honey, man, you touched your face 37 times today. I'm like, oh, thank you. But, but guess what? It helps me to become a better preacher. A better speaker. So I'm, you know, so that I'm not distracting people, always touching my face and always touching my nose and, and doing something like that. Now, is my wife hurting me when she says that? Well, I mean, it's a wound, but it's a good wound. Right. It makes me better. And a marriage needs to be based on that kind of friendship, on biblical friendship. 
unbiblical friendship. If, if you, you know, for example, if you truly love somebody, all right, and you truly care for somebody, and they come in and, and um, you know, something's wrong about them. You know, maybe something's in their nose, or you know, or or, or maybe something's sticking out. You know, or you know, other things happen. A good friend. Guess what a good friend will do? Hey, listen. Uh, yeah, they'll take you to the side and they'll just say, Hey, uh, yeah, you know, kind of bring yourself to order. An unfaithful friend, or a friend with envy, or a friend who doesn't want you to to succeed, to be to to be successful, man, they just got, ah, let's see what's going to happen here. Let him be embarrassed. Let him be a fool. A good friend will correct you. A good friend will wound you. And a marriage needs to be built, be built, be built on that kind of a friendship. Where we're given a right to correct one another. To speak words that, um, for example, another thing, other scriptures... In James 5.16, the Bible says, Confess sins to one another. Lovingly point out their friend's sins if he, he or she is blind to them. In Romans 15.14. Listen to this in Galatians 6.1, what the Bible says to friendships. The Bible says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, So we're sort of even given this hunting rights. You know what I mean? To restore one another, to correct one another. Hebrews 10.24 Stir up one another to love and good works. Ephesians 4.32 Admit wrongs, offer or ask for forgiveness. Galatians 6.2 Bear each other's burdens. If any two unrelated Christians are to provoke each other towards love and goodness, according to Hebrews 10.24, are to affirm each other and hold each other accountable to grow out of their sins, Hebrews 3.13, how much more should a husband and wife do that? Amen. How much more should a husband and wife do that? I just, you know, there's so many superficial marriages where, you know, we're just, we've got everything separate and we're just kind of doing this for our kids. You know, we're together for our kids. No, the Bible calls us to be friends. To be loving and correct one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another. That's the kind of friendship and that's the kind of foundation every marriage needs. One of the things that every friendship requires, it requires openness. Listen to to what is just one quote and we're going to end on this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Amen. we live in a country that needs some strong marriages. Um, in our church, we, we came to a point where we will not we will not wed a couple unless they go through premarital counseling. Amen. And um, we'll we'll spend a lot of time with them in premarital counseling. We'll go through these things to make sure that uh, you know their their marriage is based on a covenant, saying, "Hey, I do I will love you tomorrow," <clears throat> saying hey, we're going to mutually submit to one another saying we're going to not allow our emotions to control our actions and saying that friendship is going to be uh, the center of our marriage. Uh, now, is that easy? No, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Are there days when you're like, man, it, it, it's tough? Yeah, but it's so worth it. It's so worth it. Um, you know, Christ continues to love us as his bride, even though we're unfaithful, time and time again, Christ remains faithful to us. Amen. And that, that is, an, is an example for each and every one of us and for each and every one of our marriages, that we are to remain faithful, just as Christ remains faithful to the church. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking about renewal and we're talking about um, 
know, following the Lord. And tomorrow night, uh, I, I guess the Jenks Trojans will be here. And uh, if Pastor Harold allows me, I'm going to have uh, a big uh, demonstration that will include a living animal, if you find it. Uh, but uh, hopefully Pastor Harold will allow me. Uh, and, and we're going to, you know, shift gears a little bit in, in a little different in a little different manner. But there's no talking about renewal if it doesn't start with our families. There's no talking about renewal if it doesn't start with us. And in every marriage, it starts with you personally. And if you're single, it starts with you preparing yourself. If you're going into marriage thinking, well, he's going to serve me or she's going to serve me, your marriage will fail. We go into marriage... You know what I what I say sometimes when we'll meet with couples or young people, you know, and, and, and they're so depressed. And I, I remember even when I shared this story, might have shared this story with the youth here when I was here. I, I remember there was one one young guy when I was growing up and I was a youth pastor. He was really always depressed. And he's like, man, I just need to get married. I just need to get married. If I get married, man, uh, you know, everything's going to be perfect in my life. And so I moved to Oklahoma. And uh, we moved back to Seattle. Uh, you know, we started the church, and about a year into the church, I'm walking around in the fellowship area, and guess who comes up to me? This young man. And he's still really depressed and still really sad. Now, I, I learned that he got married while I, was still, while I was here. And so when I saw him, I was like, wow, hey, how you doing? Where's your wife? She left me. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him and he's, you know, he's depressed again. And, and he's, you know, she just, she just couldn't handle me anymore. And so she left me. And in the reality, you know, honestly, this marriage from the start, I mean, he got married into this marriage thinking that she's going to fulfill him. And, and, and that's a heavy burden to carry for anybody on a daily basis to try to fulfill you because ain't, no person can fulfill us. Because as I said, that makes the lover into God and we're not God. Amen. People cannot fulfill us. Yes. If there's anything, we are called to be full of the Lord, renewed and, and strengthened and, and, and pouring out into somebody else. So if you're walking around and thinking, well, if, you know, if I only get married and, 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 and then things will change. Well, you're not ready for marriage. The only time you're ready for marriage is, man, you're just overflowing with joy. You're overflowing in your relationship with the Lord and you just need somebody to share that joy with, then you're ready for marriage. But if you think marriage is something that's going to fulfill you, you you're, you're missing out on Christ. Amen. Okay. So there's a certain thing that only Christ can do. And then there's a certain thing that, that a marriage will do. And, and then that I also want to say that, you know, um, in addition to our spousal relationships, there's a certain... Fulfillment that comes with being a part of a community of believers. There's a certain need that we all have for fellowship in a community of believers. Uh, don't get me wrong, you know, because there were people in the Bible who were called to, to be single. It doesn't mean that they were, they were um, you know, unfulfilled in their life because they had that in the fellowship of, of a church. Okay? And so we can have those needs fulfilled in the community of believers as well. Amen. And so um, I want us together to pray for marriages. I want us to pray for every marriage here in this church. I want us to pray for every young person that is here in their future marriages, that they will be based on a covenant. They will be based on mutual submission, on actions, and on a friendship, true friendship. I want us to pray that our families are strong. If there's anything that we lack in our nation is, is some strong families. If there's anything that's affecting the church, it's, it's the strength of families. Right. Let's bow our heads. Uh, if you're married, I want you to be praying for your marriage and, and praying for the marriage of your children, praying for the marriage of your grandchildren. If you're single, I want you to be praying for yourself. Lord, prepare me to be someone who's going to be dedicated to a covenant, to submission, to service, to self-denial. Prepare me. If you're struggling in marriage, uh, I want you to look to yourself and, and ask yourself, what can you do? 
in your role to deny more of yourself and to serve more. Let's spend some time in, in prayer. Jesus, you have set the bar really high. You love us unconditionally. You love us when we fall. You forgive us time and time again. You bless us even when we're unfaithful, time and time again. Jesus, and you call us to love our spouses just like you have loved the church. That is a high calling. Father, help us all. Lord, I pray that at the foundation of all of our marriage is going to be a covenant, not feelings, a covenant that will say, I do and I will. Jesus, help us to mutually submit to one another. Help us to mutually serve one another, to forgive one another, to love one another. Help us, Father, on a daily basis to not be to not allow emotions to affect or to affect our actions towards our spouses. Help us, Father, on a daily basis to show acts of kindness and acts of love, even when the emotions are not there. And Father, if there's somebody here today and they're going through a season of just dryness and, and there's no emotions, Lord, I just pray that you may give them that extra, extra Holy Ghost economics and just extra grace and strength to just continue to show actions of love. And I pray, God, that morning will come when the emotions will flourish again from both sides. Lord, I pray that our marriages will be based on and a friendship, and true friendships. That it's not just a contract, or we're not in it just for the kids, or, or because it's cheaper for on insurance. Jesus, but we're, we're truly friends. We're best friends with our couples, with our spouses. Father, I pray for every single young person here. Lord, I pray for their future marriages. God, I pray that every one of their marriages is going to be strong. They're going to be an example of self-denial, an example of, of forgiveness and service and uh, sacrifice in our community towards their spouses. Prepare every heart, Lord. Prepare every young man's and young woman's heart to, to go into marriage ready. Jesus, and I, I pray for for family members who are struggling in their marriages, for friends and relatives who are struggling. God, I pray that every marriage is going to be based on some of the things that your word teaches us. Lord, I pray, God, that our families will be strong, strong in, in their commitment, strong in relationships, because that's what revival starts in our community with. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.